Hey readers, in this episode, we're going to be discussing a little bit about self-harm and suicide. It all kind of turns out okay, but we just wanted to give you all that content warning beforehand. What a great day in the garden! The vegetables and flowers are all on the ground, and I think it's time I made some margaritas. Mmm, sounds delicious, sweetheart. We'll get a shower... And relax. Oh no, he's coming out again. Get inside, quick, dear. Oh no, Uh, we gotta clean up all our tools first. Forget about the tools, quick, we don't want to talk to... Oh, Oh, hey! hey. Greetings, Edelman family. Doom was looking out his back window with incredibly powerful binoculars and could not help but notice your recent plantings. An adequate job, to be certain, especially with the button bush. However, Doom wanted to suggest a superior planting scheme. Oh, that's okay, Victor. We honestly like it this way. But your design could be superior in every possible way, Edelmans. Victor, I designed it this way because it looks... Beautiful. An X-shaped garden is just fun. Fun, but foolish. I thought you professed to care for insects. My arrangement would maximize the habitat potential for butterflies and bees. Victor, it's totally fine. We're about to head in, actually. Ah, what plans do you have this fine evening? Oh, yes, a a couple of drinks and then maybe get ready for bed. Doom has purchased a fine new strategic board game. Perhaps we could partake? Nah, we're a bit tired from today. Honestly, it's fine. We'll play another time, maybe. Margaritas are a favorite of yours, correct? Doom has imported fine limes from Tahiti and an excellent blue agave tequila. I would enjoy sharing. He's usually not big on sharing. My reasons are my own. Uh, Well, we're going to have to pass, Victor. Night, Victor. Gosh, let's head in. I'm glad we didn't tell him what we were really doing. Talking about comics. Yes. Come back, please. Doom is so lonely. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our episode covering the Fantastic Four versus the X-Men. We had a lot of fun getting people to vote on this one, and the people chose this this Claremonty crossover. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty close vote on Twitter. Um, uh, if this was a parliament, two of them would have had to combine to form a government. Sure. No, nothing got the majority. So are you saying that we would have had to have combined two events into one episode? We, it, I think we, we were, would be a different podcast. If we were if we were forming a parliament, <laughs> a podcast parliament. <laughs> I think if we were parliament, though, we would be a little bit more snippy and we would... Stand up and sit down a lot, like in like in British Parliament. Oh, I could like insult you all the time. <laughs> Perhaps the esteemed other podcast host, if he would have read more closely, would have noticed that Catherine was actually in the tube during this point 
that he wrote in the summary. Perhaps he should pay closer attention next time. And then I'd stand up and... And then, um, readers, I have gotten my Shakespeare insult generator book out for, uh, for my, for my, uh, insults here. That oh, I'm yes, gonna, Parliament. Uh huh. Definitely straight from Shakespeare. Sh- you know, it's from the same place. <laughs> <laughs> I would call him an insolent mouse eaten, mouse eaten dullard. So I'm eaten by mice. I am not eating the mice. No, you are, you are mouse eaten. That's in upsetting. This case. Mm-hmm. Better than rat eating, I mm-hmm. guess. Or, or flip some pages. Oh boy, flip some pages. An overgorged, one trunk inheriting fashion monger. One trunk inheriting? Oh, it's it's like calling me poor because I would yes. only get like one trunk's worth of stuff. Yes. Wow. Your mother got me this. She did. It's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have it in the closet. <laughs> Hey, we just put a bookshelf in our in our in our bedroom. It could it could it could be in there. This is next to the Bible. <laughs> I'll have you know. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> Christy just strategically moved it to be next to the Bible. It was by Baby's first year though, and go the to sleep, which is uh, also very important stuff. Yes, also also from your mother. <laughs> This is a Hope Edelman shelf. (laughs) Well, readers, this was um, an interesting kind of crossover. It's a little bit older. It is like the strictest definition of crossover. It is literally take two teams, smash them together Mm -hmm. for for fun. Conveniently, it happens very soon after Mutant Massacre, which we have also covered. Yes, somewhat recently. So if you're looking to to brush up on the lead up to this event, you could go back and give a listen to our Mutant Massacre episode. Yeah, this is definitely not one of those that you can really just jump in on. Kind of like... Oh, yeah, you can. It's very gym shootery in that... Uh, you could jump into any one of these four issues and probably be okay. It's very Even explained. if you hadn't read the other ones. <laughs> it, was, it was just the time. All right, let's... Uh, since we have no new patrons... Shame. No, I'm kidding. You guys are all doing great. And uh, times no are new tough. iTunes reviews. That's shame. That is shame. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to jump on into the some. Did we read a Facebook review sometime in the last couple months? Because no. we did have one of those. We did? Okay. Readers, I'd seen this review on Facebook and thought, oh gosh, this is from a while ago. We must have already read this out on the pod. And I think I think we did not. I am mentioning it now, and it uh it, it seems to strike Chris as unfamiliar. So if we're shouting this out again, well, you just have to hear about how great we are again, and somebody gets to hear their name twice. All right, we have a review on our Facebook page from David Pruitt, who says the Chris's are great fun to listen to, and they do an amazing job of looking at crossovers and keeping me company as I do chores and Shopping out here in rural Japan. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Rural Japan. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So if we are shouting this out again, sorry we're forgetful. And sorry we're forgetful either way, because we should have shouted this out a while ago. Yep. Yeah. We have no excuse. <laughs> no excuses. So now that we have taken care of that bit of business, let's get into our summary.
Fantastic Four versus the X-Men. Written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Bogdanov, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, edited by Anne Nascenti and Don Daly. Issue 1. Franklin Richards has a terrible dream in which his father, Reed, has killed the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. In said dream, Reed carries the body of Sue Storm to an altar, on which is a very reverently treated book of Reed Richards' journal from college. As Franklin looks on in horror, Reed places a Dr. Doom mask on his face, saying that Doom and he are one. Franklin awakes in terror and tries to go to Reed's lab to talk to his father about the scary dream. Reed is too busy, though, and asks Sue to look after him for a bit. Franklin tries to explain his dream to his mother, but as she unpacks some boxes from storage, she finds the journal. Franklin recoils in fear from this evil book. We catch up with the X-Men, who are currently hanging out at Muir Island. Kitty Pride is stuck in intangible form following the somewhat recent mutant massacre. We did an episode on that. And the X-Men are trying to find a cure before she fades away. Magneto decides to ask Reed for help, even though Richards will likely think he is still a supervillain. Dazzler and Longshot, while returning via speedboat, rescue a bearded fisherman who seems quiet but somewhat sinister. Reed meets with Sue after he's done working and she acts coldly towards him after reading his journal. Franklin, now in astral dream form, as his power manifests at this point, can only look in ghostly fear. She-Hulk and Thing meet serendipitously in a reference library when suddenly a nearby building explodes. The two try their hardest to keep the building together, but can't hold it for long. They're joined by Magneto, who uses his magnetic abilities to reform the building, while the arriving human torch welds the frame together. The others don't want to trust Magneto, but his benevolent actions convince them, at least for now. Being a pragmatist, Magneto uses this leverage to meet with the FF, where he asks Reed for help with Kitty. Sue is still angry with Reed about the contents of the book, as well as his inattention to his family, but regardless, the FF and She-Hulk, minus Invisible Woman, head to Muir Island. Aboard the plane, Reed asks Ben if he's ruthless, but the thing replies that Reed is simply always certain that he's correct, which might read as ruthless. Reed is now completely unsure of himself, reminded of the contents of the journal, which detail a time where his arrogance cost him. He thinks he'll fail Kitty as well, and when asked by Moira if anything can be done, he replies simply that nothing can be done with Kitty. This isn't good enough for Magneto, who tries to take the device Reed would have used on Kitty. The others, in true versus crossover fashion, begin to fight, as Astral Franklin looks on, worried his dream is coming true. Issue 2. The X-Men and Fantastic Four have a big ol' fight, with the casualties being a very burned storm, thanks Human Torch, and a power-drained thing, thanks Rogue. Psylocke tries to psychically break up the fight, but Wolverine is berserking really hard. Poor little Franklin tries to tell Wolverine to not hurt his papa, but accidentally falls out of his bed with a loud cry. Sue goes to check on him, and he falls back asleep. She curses their existence a little bit, and then curses the contents of Reed's journal before using her force field powers to blow her clothes off in rage at her husband. Yeah, I don't know either. 
Dazzler, Longshot, and Havoc, who were in the infirmary with the fishermen, realize the fight is happening and dash off to help before the fisherman turns into a robot, terrifying Muir Island's nurse Sharon Friedlander. Moira finally ends the fight for good, and the FF peace out, with the X-Men not forcing Reed into saving Shadowcat even though Rogue and Wolverine really want to force him. However, before the FF can leave, the robot turns into a simulacrum of Dr. Doom, who loudly proclaims to those gathered that he can definitely save Kitty, even though that fool Richards cannot. They ask him the catch, and he simply says, his reasons are his own. Reed yells at them not to trust Doom, and Moira kicks him off her property like he's a trespasser. It rules! Doom tells them to let him know when they decide, and leaves like a nice guest. Storm passes out from her wounds, and the X-Men rush her to the infirmary, where Kitty sees everything. She blames herself for the predicament, and contemplates letting herself die. The Thing finds the journal, and punches Reed across the room. We finally find out the contents of the journal. It turns out, in response to all of the super-powered individuals, especially criminals appearing early in Marvel history, Reed knew the flight into space would create the FF, and did it on purpose. Jerk move, Reed. The X-Men debate taking Doom's offer, and Storm eventually states as the leader, the decision is hers alone. We close the issue with The Thing, She-Hulk, and Johnny leaving in disgust, and Reed asking Susan if she would go too. Number three. We cut to Latveria, where the X-Men have decided to accept Doom's help, although tentatively. Doom fully heals Storm's burn, and the X-Men enjoy the scenery. Rogue returns from shopping after being told by Doom not to leave, which causes the security bots to attack her. Dazzler and Havoc assist, but are quickly surrounded by bots. Doom calls them off, but not before reminding the X-Men of the laws of Latveria. Read, always listen to Dr. Doom. Kitty is giving in to despair and phases through the tube, holding her form together, preparing to allow herself to die. Franklin Richards' astral form calls after her, begging her to come back. Kitty's dragon Lockheed lets out a loud cry and the X-Men come running. Psylocke tries to convince Kitty to return via telepathy, but to no avail. Only the tears of Franklin, finally noticed by Kitty, convince her to return to the tube. The X-Men seem awfully confused about Franklin's presence, but eh, it's kind of whatever. Reed goes to check on Sue, who definitely pretends she's asleep, before also checking on Franklin, who is, of course, having a bad dream. Reed laments being a crappy dad before telling his son a cute story as an invisible Sue looks on. Ben hits up a bar where he drinks and eats his cares away, thinking about how Reed made him the way he was on purpose. He leaves at closing time and after all the brews, still isn't even tipsy. Before long, though, he notices a bad car wreck in which an oil tanker is on fire. A child is trapped in a car, and the thing rips open the vehicle and carries the child to safety. The baby's overjoyed mother repays Ben with a big smooch. Maybe being the thing isn't so bad after all. The Human Torch practices precision flying as he's beating himself up about accidentally burning Storm. He visits his girlfriend, Alicia Masters, and she consoles him, telling him that the best way to deal with this is to face his mistakes. Sue reappears as Franklin falls asleep and talks to Reed, saying whichever man wrote that journal is not the man that Reed is now, forgiving him. Not sure if I would, but you do you. 
He decides that to face his fears regarding his molecular reintegration device, he needs to head to Latveria and save Kitty Pride. The rest of the FF return to the Baxter building and all decide to help. Issue number four. Kitty in her tube is feeling melancholy and impatient when the image of young Franklin appears to cheer her up. Unfortunately, he also brings up his vision of doom lowercase d, which does not really help. He then attempts to help further by telling her the bedtime story his father told him earlier. The FF aboard their plane talk amongst themselves about the future. Sue worries about Reed, but Ben seems to be more optimistic. Johnny laments hurting Storm, and She-Hulk reminds him that every action has consequences, but learning to live with them is the important part. We then get Dr. Doom's intro story of scarring his face while at college with Reed and Ben, and end our scene with Reed feeling unsure again, as an image of Franklin appears to tell him that he told Kitty Reed would fix her. No pressure, Stretch. In Latveria, the X-Men do some training, but Rogue loses her patience waiting for Doom to save Kitty. Kitty and Franklin talk about being only children and how they wish each other were their siblings. When doom bursts in, it's time to begin. Magneto has his own melancholy, remembering his horrifying origin story out loud to Storm. He uses his magnetic powers to create a statue of his dead wife and child, and then to catch the oncoming Fantastic Four plane. However, using the magnetic powers has now interfered with Doom's machine, and he sends the X-Men to stop the FF. Even though a minor tussle breaks out, the FF of course mean no harm, and Franklin arrives aboard Lockheed to shame everyone since Kitty's life is at stake. Good going, kiddo. Doom prepares to activate his machine, but Reed notices a problem, and he alone will have to manually perform calculations to ensure their success. However, the old doubt kicks in again, and he wonders if he's made a mistake. Doom snidely suggests a telepath can assist him, but Psylocke is barely keeping Kitty together, and Reed needs to make a choice now. He can't always be second-guessing, but Reed gathers his courage and realizes that some things simply take faith in yourself. Hours later, Kitty is fixed, but still incorporeal for now. Magneto and Reed shake hands, and uh, things are cool. Sue realizes, possibly, that Doom forged the entries in Reed's notebook and warns him not to trifle with her. They've won, however, so Sue has no reason to fight now. We close this crossover as Franklin's astral form hangs out with Kitty's gradually solidifying self, and they say they'd like to visit once things are back to normal. The end. Alright, so... What did you think about this this crossover? I liked it, but I like Claremont. And I think that if you like Claremont, you'll like this. And if you don't like Claremont, this is not the one to convince you. I I liked it a lot. It was very um it was very talky. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yep. Claremont. He uh has never been one to <laughs> not say words when at, at at any opportunity. But I enjoyed it, even though it was technically like it's it's a versus event it wasn't all punching which no, i enjoyed <laughs> it was this is not like the civil war style versus event of of or of hero fighting mm-hmm. people do so there's a lot of talk of like being sick of heroes fighting heroes mm-hmm. but to some extent it is kind of a proud marvel tradition to have heroes misunderstand and beat each other up <laughs> it happened in like very early fantastic 4 in fact 
One of the first ever superhero crossovers happened in Timely Comics, which is when the Human Torch, the the OG Human Torch, fought the Submariner, and the Submariner flooded New York. You know, things happen. Things happen. I liked that Human Torch. He's not even a human, he's a robot. Well, that's a silly name then. (laughs) It just sounded cool. (laughs) I wasn't expecting, I mean, I wasn't really expecting anything going into this. I just was like, oh, this is the event where they, they fix Kitty. Yep. That that's about what I knew going in reading it. And I feel like that's what you'd get like if someone was like a diehard X-Men person and they maybe didn't want to buy this like when it was coming out you'd be like, "Oh, well this is like this, you know, like Kitty's they're going to like fix Kitty and you're like, "Well, I got to buy it now." <laughs> but I wasn't uh so I wasn't anticipating all of the parenting feels that I got yeah. reading this. This is more of an FF book to me than an X-Men book. Yes. The central, like, the central, like, so the conflict is not really man versus man like it wants you to think. It's like man versus self. Right. And it's it's very, like, Reed-centric, Franklin-centric. Yeah, a lot of Franklin in this book, or in this event. Yeah, the X-Men are almost kind of the window dressing of this book. it's, It's the problem that's the backdrop to the rest of the story. Right. Not to say that they don't have like their own inner conflicts about whether or not to let Doom help them and stuff, but like Reed is such a focus of this story Mm -hmm. and and Franklin, but Franklin is more of like a narrator figure. He doesn't have any real conflicts. No, no, just probably lots of childhood trauma resulting from (laughs) (laughs) everything that he sees. This poor kid has got to have so much childhood trauma. Oh my gosh. I can't even. I mean, that, I guess that's just growing up in a in a superhero family, right? It's true. Astro City does that a lot, mm-hmm. but more more about the growing up than the than the punching. Yeah, I can only imagine if my my nightmares were as uh, awful as Franklin's. <laughs> he has like a satanic vision of his father, like sacrificing his mother on an altar. I know. I thought my recurring dream of Captain Hook as a child was terrifying. I had this recurring dream when I was sort of a like an older child mm-hmm. of a guy who was like it, he was completely like he had like alabaster white skin and like jet black hair and like a jet black coat and jet black eyes. And he would just calmly walk after me with a knife. Oh, yeah. I had several dreams about this. Oh, yeah. Still not as bad as like your, your father. own dad, like <laughs> sacrificing your mother on an altar. That's a hard one to, and uh, especially considering his dreams are like semi clairvoyant, it seems. Right. Oh, like mommy, mommy, daddy put you on an altar and sacrificed you. And she's like, uh, well, I was just doing some dishes and kitty, kitty, please don't kill yourself. Like, uh, yeah, real rough. Yeah. I, it's so. I mean, Kitty is a child in this. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Franklin is very obviously a child. And it's a lot to see kids go through that and contemplating that. Like, not that that's at Kitty's age, you know, that's n- not an uncommon thing for kids oh, to think about. But, like, seeing it on the pages of a comic was a very real and intense moment. But they did it in a way where it didn't feel like it was like, and now for a very special issue of the X-Men, you know, like it was not, it was not like super like syrupy or kind of Mm-mm. 
after school specially. Right, right. No, it was, you know, just Kitty seeking to unburden her friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, looking to that for an answer, which I think is, I think is kind of a, a beautiful moment of, not that I want to glorify that thought, but just the, the selflessness of. Oh, the fact that, that Kitty would sacrifice herself rather than let her friends make a terrible mistake. Yeah. You know, get in with Dr. Doom. Yes. It shows a lot about Kitty's character. But, uh, yeah, really, I mean, a, a terribly dark thing for Franklin to witness, but. Is that just kind of like a dime a dozen thing for Franklin Richards? Uh, this is, I think this is a particular moment. They, I mean, because of, because of the global pandemic we're living in, we have not finished the Fantastic Four series yet. Mm-hmm. But you, we, we've read up to the current part. Like Franklin is really stoked to see Kitty in it. Yeah. Like, just because of that, even though he was like probably like four here or something, three or four, mm-hmm. and he's a teenager now, he still remembers it. But he, it's nice that at least he's not like, he's not like, oh, I don't want to see Kitty. That just reminds me of a really scary time. Right. And even this moment doesn't seem to, like, he, he stays with her and he comforts her and he is, he is the friend that we all need in our time of need. He's just, you know. He's a pint-sized a, friend. A precocious little child. A jelly jar-sized friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of children, John Bogdanov draws kids in a, just, just great. He's so good at it. And a lot of artists are terrible at it. They just draw the, they just take like an adult and then they like, they grab the diagonal <laughs> and just like shrink it down. And they're like, there's a kid. <laughs> yeah. it It's adorable. And it makes it, it makes seeing Franklin in these situations that much more alarming. Yeah. He kind of makes like a, like a Disney child. Like he's got like a little, just, like he needs a little bluebird or yeah. Something like fluttering around him, getting him dressed in the morning. You know, he's got like, he's got like the little, ra- he's got like the kind of roundness. Oh, yeah. He, they just, he's it, very cheruby. Yeah. Oh, Bogdanov just is very good at drawing kids. And, um, it's just, when you see a bunch of like other Kitty, people. He, however, does kids. not look like a kid. <laughs> no, people never seem to know how old to draw Kitty, but. I'll give him some slack because he literally never drew a full and solid Kitty Pride. She was literally a cloud person. Right. With really fun cloud hair. Yeah, it's always like everywhere. Which Kitty for a while kind of had this like this almost like kind of tight curly hair. Yeah, lost that. Qu- quick quicker than we thought. Mhm. Maybe they interpreted it as a as a perm. She decided to get rid of. Yeah, that's not. That's probably not it, though. No, no, no. Nope. Mm. Uh, but that's kind of stuck. Now she has like, I don't know, like a straight, like pretty straight hair. I don't know what's going on with that. She's Becky with the good hair. I don't think it's I- good hair. <laughs> you don't think she has good hair? No. I liked it when she had curls. That was fun. Oh, okay. No, I, I, like the whole Becky with the good hair. You know, it's like. It's relaxed. It's straightened. It's oh, I, I, okay. This is this is specifically a uh, okay. As, um, maybe I'm using maybe I'm using this wrong, but just like trying to go for a culturally accepted standard of beauty over your own natural appearance. I did not know that. That's what Becky with the good hair was supposed to be referring to. I thought it was just supposed to be referring to a person with good hair. <laughs> 
No, like good hair is like ah, which I don't know. Maybe it's not culturally a white thing. I don't think so. Maybe I maybe applying it to Kitty is not appropriate for me to do. But yeah, like good hair. There's like a whole movie about good hair. Really? Yeah. Is it called Good Hair? I think so. Okay. I never, I never actually watched it. I saw like a very long trailer for it, and I was like, "Oh, this looks really good." And then I forgot about it until this moment. We'll have right to watch now. it. <laughs> but the giving Kitty uh, a more a more culturally accepted kind of waspy hairstyle is kind of an ongoing problem. I don't know if it's if it's if it's malignant in that people are specific specifically going, "Oh, we're not drawing her with curly hair," or if it, people just got lazy and didn't want to draw curls anymore. I mean. Curls are, curls are kind of tough to draw. and I don't think that's a good excuse, though. You know, if you're going to stay with something, you got to stay with something. No. Like, even if she was somebody who, like, straightened her hair, like, when she got, like, sweaty or whatever, her hair got it all moist, there should be some, some little bit of curl to it. True. In superhero comics, though, people's hair, like, never gets messed no, up. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> like... So many times in this in this comic, Rogue's clothes get blown to pieces, and her <laughs> hair always looks the same. There's a lot of clothes getting torn to pieces. She-Hulk's clothes get all ripped up. Sue Storm blows her clothes off. There, when She-Hulk is is helping like lift up that building from mm-hmm. being in the fire, she is literally like from waist up completely naked like her clothes burn to pieces you don't it doesn't show anything but you see her full and full naked back right but it's implied that like really only the back is really torn apart uh, apart like at the front how would the front still, stay on I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's a there's a joke with that chris claremont blows people's clothes off a lot and this was like really no exception so do you think that She-Hulk might like invest in somewhat somewhat like kind of breakaway clothing that <laughs> <laughs> Well, normally she has that suit that seems to kind of like just be Go fine. With her. And in this case she was already in She-Hulk form. It was not that her her muscles or anything ripped out of it like she was the Hulk. It was just that they got burned. <laughs> oh, was it I okay. I thought she I don't know. I thought all of the lifting and moving and everything it she just those weren't clothes made for holding up a building you could be right i thought it had to do with the fire but i don't know maybe she hulk and the thing are both like pretty impervious to fire because mm-hmm. the building had blown up mm-hmm. but it, it really makes you recognize and appreciate superheroes that always wear their costumes like even when it doesn't seem necessary because you know that can happen to your clothes chris claremont (laughs) might take your clothes away dang it chris (laughs) well and sue storm was wearing her proper clothes (laughs) still blew them off (laughs) ladies are you ever so mad at your husband that you blow your clothes off in rage sue storm's here for you (laughs) sue storm's breakaway clothing (laughs) <laughs> what if it, it what's what? fits of rage in fashion goodness there's so much so much clothing blowing off in this this crossover um how do you feel about the central conflict of of guy is not sure of himself i have felt literally the same way like 
I thought about an event and worried I remembered it completely incorrectly and had done something terribly wrong. And there was no way that I could find out if I had done the right thing or not. So yeah. I totally get it. Although it's just like coming from Reed, it's kind of like eye-rolly because you're like, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, that that would be like a, a terrible fear. Now, I've gone back and like looked at some old journal entries. And it's interesting because, I mean, journaling, you're such an unreliable narrator that even looking back at that doesn't really give you a clear picture of events as they were oh i know you could if you're let's say you're mad at somebody they're totally in the wrong and maybe you did something to screw up oh yeah you would never write that unless you were like especially when you're younger you do not have that amount of self-awareness that kicks in so quickly after you've made a mistake yeah i don't know sometimes i've looked back at journal entries and i'm like really who are you lying to right now? Because, like, I'm looking back at this and I'm like, you are totally... Who's supposed to be reading this? That <laughs> you are trying to frame yourself as so... <laughs> so blameless. Did you do this in journal entries? Um, I mean, I don't know that I was, like... like, But, like... So, I kept a breakup journal... Like, I really turned to journaling in times of, like, emotional crisis. Sure. So, like, definitely, like, you know, skimming over the bits where, like, well, I saw him again and we definitely hooked up. And, but just being like, well, I saw him and it was fine. Or just, like, you know, journaling about events as I wish they were and, like, how I was handling things myself, as opposed to, like, what actually happened. I'm like, and you why, remember, would you, why would you lie about that? I don't know. Maybe you thought someone would find it. I don't know. I just love Christie's revisionist history. <laughs> <laughs> I met him again. I looked fantastic. He looked like a crumb <laughs> I, I gave I gave him the cold shoulder and we never spoke again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Reed's journal definitely reads like a guy who thinks he's smart in college, though, which is kind of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, after reading Infinite Jest, I uh, decided to look at the superhuman affairs of things. Oh, how did Sue ever fall for him? You got to read early FF. It okay. is. Uh, well, you got to read it and then, like, roll your eyes at it, because she's very, like, <gasps> all the time. Oh. And he's just, like, very on top of things. You could tell that there were times where Jack Kirby really wanted to make Reed, like, maybe not quite so perfect. and uh, Or make some of the other characters not so dependent on Reed. And Stan Lee would be like, let's uh, write in some dialogue where they definitely thank Reed for everything. <laughs> There were moments in this that I was somewhat endeared to read in a way that I never have been, but on a whole, I still don't really like him. Yeah, you kind of get it. Mm-hmm. That's, this is, you can tell that Jonathan Hickman, when he wrote his Fantastic Four run, probably liked this four issue a lot, which makes sense. Hickman was like a diehard ex-boy, mm-hmm. and he was probably reading comics at this point. Because it very much informs the read of later, which has he has to choose saving the multiverse kind of on, like, a constant basis mm-hmm. or being, like, a, a halfway decent father. Right. Ugh. And Sue's, Sue's moment of just that parental feeling of 
I've brought this person into the world, and thus I feel responsible for any suffering that they might encounter. Yeah. That's heavy. It's true. Um, however, the group um, antinatalists who are against the concept of birth are very into this. Like, oh, and it is morally incorrect to bring a human being into the world because they will experience suffering and it is your fault that it's happened. Right. It's just, you know, it, it, that's. I think that's that there's other things you can experience that's not <laughs> suffering, but I guess that just is what weighs out for certain people. Right. I mean, on the on on the whole, I mean, that's the, the question on the whole. Is it all worth it? And uh, we're still here, so we say yes. <laughs> we, we say yes. And uh, apparently, um, so does everybody else, because it all works out. Do you like that they kind of skipped the bit where Reed actually fixes Kitty? He's just like, no, nah, I think I got this now. And then it just skips. I actually love that, because the moment where they fix everything in comics is the moment that just seems like the most BS to me all the time, and I don't follow any of it. Oh, so it, I'm totally fine with. Well, because it's fixed. all just gobbledygook, right? He'd be like, hit the positronic matter inverters, and it'd be like, uh, Jack Kirby would love to put that in because he could draw giant cool machines. But <laughs> this is not what we not what we got here. I just is there is there like a comic book science like glossary no, that they just no no <laughs> it's all it's all so made up comic book right, science but, but is just, so where upsetting. do they where do they just decide to pull these words from i don't know I, same, i'm just glad they didn't the same place as doctor who they thank you claremont yeah thank you i thought that was uh i also liked that we really didn't get a point of storm accepting doctor doom's offer oh yeah you just get her saying like i get to choose mm-hmm. and they're like it will be with you all the way and then the next issue he's like standing over her imposingly with the burned arm which Mm -hmm. is such a good fake out yes yes did you like dr doom in this because i thought this was like primo dr doom but like i don't mean like i want to hang out with him doom's a cool guy but like this was good doom this was just this was just good doom like this was classic doom this this was squirrel girl doom Oh, it, I, this is like some Dr. Doom stuff that I love. Um, but I always love Dr. Doom. I think when I was a kid, I just looking at him, I'm like, oh, he's, he must just be a cheesy villain. And he is kind of cheesy, but he is, he never just does stuff to be a jerk. Except, oh, okay. He does do stuff to be a jerk <laughs> to the Fantastic Four. But like, he doesn't just like go like attack America for the heck of it or whatever, or like assassinate right. random people or even like, like to or some, attack Asgard, right? Lat, <laughs> Latveria doesn't like do like like invading other countries. It didn't deserve a secret war. It did not deserve a secret war. I don't think justice for Latveria. <laughs> <laughs> but so he he just kind of wants to like rule his country and uh, thwart that fool Richards, and uh, maybe maybe he's a despot. Hard to tell. <laughs> He's got a lot of robots. Uh, <laughs> Is Doom a bad guy? Pro- yeah. 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 I do love that this entire thing was just to mess with Reed, though. It was like, if they would have, like, put a calendar entry that said, like, April 1st at the end and, like, a random background panel, that would have been kind of funny. <laughs> I just love that this journal was supposedly just, just lost and locked away, like, since before they were even married, which, like... 
either like Doom took the time to go and like revise and like plant this this journal to be discovered at that particular moment, or this was a real long game. Yeah, like, like did he do this in college? He couldn't have done this in college, really, because well, by the time this that journal entry was made, they had like they weren't. This was right before the test flight, so they weren't. He wasn't in college anymore. Oh. Right? Like, wasn't it, like, literally right before the test flight? Um, y- yes. Or close to it? Yes. Because he talked about the people who he was going to bring. Right. That would have been after college. He was, like, a grown man. Like, it is somewhat implied at the beginning of FF that Reed is, like, in his 30s. Okay, yeah. So. So, but I want to know if at some point after the FF became the FF, Doom just, like... <laughs> Like cartoon tippy toe snuck into the Baxter building and spent some time duplicating Reed Richards' <laughs> handwriting and just writing out this journal entry. Oh, Doom so petty. <laughs> There's a bit later that just says, I smell really awful, Reed Richards, and Doom's just like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, what's more likely that Reed's an absolute jerk or that Doom went to this level of petty? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. It is literally left completely open for interpretation. I found some some blog entries where people like debated it. Oh man, man. Because reads like uh, reads like I might have, and Doom is like I might have. So we really <laughs> do not know. Which is kind of fun. I kind of like it. It's perfect. You know, if you want to think reads a jerk even more. You can. I kind of prefer to think that Reed maybe thought about this, but didn't write it down. But Doom definitely wrote it down. Mm. But I don't know. So it's both. Yeah, they're all bad. They're all bad. All right. Got it. Let's get into Twitter questions. Twitter questions. All right. Our first Twitter question comes from Dan Grote. And Dan says, the current X-Men FF generated more emotionally charged discourse than your average superhero misunderstanding. Where does the original rank for you in terms of superhero on superhero violence? Uh, if he's talking about a mount, pretty low, comparatively. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about like the quality of like, it's about as much as I prefer. Maybe slightly more than I prefer. I feel like they got in, like, one tussle too many. I like that we saw, we got to see, like, Johnny grappling with the consequences. Oh, yeah. Of- there was not just, like, a, oh, I really hurt this 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 nice person. Never going to think about it again. <laughs> I loved, like, Wolverine giving Reed a black eye. He just decked him right in the face. Mm-hmm. And then the thing decked him in the face later. That was a rough day for him. <laughs> so... I mean, I in terms of superhero on superhero violence, I think this was I think this was fine. This is this is a good amount, right amount. Yeah. You thought maybe a little bit too much? Slightly too much. Slightly too much. Yeah. Um at Asimov Fangirl asks, Haya, what are some of your favorite FF runs or stories? Chrissy, you have not read a ton of FF. No, nope. I can't really weigh in on this one. I'm boring. I like the Hickman run and the Stan and Jack stuff. I haven't read a ton else. I have not really read a lot of bad FF. I guess um, I really don't like the current Dan Slot run on it. I dropped it very quickly. I love Chip Zdarsky's Marvel 2-in-1. It's it was, it was like a maxi series. It ran like 12 issues. But it was just about the thing and, and the human torch trying to find 
Sue and Reed and the kids after the 2015 Secret Wars by dimension hopping. And you can tell that they are not the people who are good at dimension hopping. <laughs> uh, but it's very good. And I think Chip should have probably gotten the main title. I'm going to make that bold claim. Dan Slott does not listen to our show. I just don't like his FF. I, they, they do that. There's this whole, like the robots are having an uprising thing and it's played for goofs. Oh, like, oh, those silly server serving robots. Like, I don't know. I don't really like it. They also made, they made Franklin like a sullen teen. He dyed his hair black and it's like, I don't know. Some teens do that. I mean, you're right. I just, I thought it would, it's like the most easy thing to do to me. Oh. It's like, it's so, it's so basic. Okay. It's, it's, I, I get that. It's butter on a biscuit and nothing else. Although, you know, sometimes butter on a biscuit ain't bad. True that. Second question from Asimov Fangirl. If you could visit just one specific location from the Marvel Universe, which one would you choose? Thanks. Hmm. Where's a nice place to visit? Uh, Krakoa is pretty... Current Krakoa. 1970s Krakoa, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, that that's kind of like the, the, the easy answer here yeah. right now. Um, there's probably some cool space places. Uh, I don't know. The blue uh, area of the moon's really dangerous. A lot of those locales are just very dangerous. I don't like know. The, Avengers Tower would be fun. Yeah, I suppose so. I feel like it'd be a lot of offices. Oh, yeah. Maybe not. The but Savage there'd Land- also be a lot of heroes. Yeah. Like, you'd, it's like, you know, choosing the, the right place to go to run into all your favorite stars. Like, Oh, true. Mm-hmm. It's like when you've got your map on your double-decker bus and they're like, this is... Right, right. This is Humphrey Bogart's house. <laughs> The Savage Land would be cool to see the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. But it would need to be like a special guided tour. So I'm guaranteed to A, not crash in a plane because no one ever lands on the Savage Land. Right. I always crash. Mm-hmm. And um, I also would I would like to not be eaten by a dinosaur. Yes, fair. Robert Secundus asks, if you could have one of the X-Men join the FF for a while, who would it be and who would they replace? Okay. So it's not just like inserting a fifth mem- member on the team because they're not the Fantastic Five. Well, for a while they were the Future Foundation, which is the I think they still are to some extent, but that's what they did with the FF, so they could bring in lots of people. Oh, that's right, that's right. Uh, so okay, but we're we're keeping it to four, the roster to four, taking somebody off, putting somebody on. I want to replace Reed for a bit. Sue gets to be team leader, and Forge comes in. Oh, that's fun. So so there could still be a lot of cool gadgets, but like all the decisions wouldn't just come down to the guy who can make all the cool gadgets. Mm. Okay. Forge has been a team leader too, though, so that wouldn't be bad. But I feel like Sue never gets to be the team leader, so I think that would be cool. Uh, what if we uh, swapped out Johnny for Pyro? <laughs> <laughs> what if we swapped out Johnny for Firestar, who has basically the same powers? <laughs> for Pyro? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Just a Johnny, but even even sillier. Yeah. 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 That's kind of fun. All right. Uh, at Rev Zachary on Twitter asks, if there was an FF team building specifically out of X-Men, who would be on it? Um. Okay. So we've got to have a big Rocky guy. So we would have Rock Slide. So we're making our own Fantastic Four out of X Men. Yep. So, so similar we... to the last question, but now it's a it's a whole four. Yeah, now we have this is like the level two version. Of oh, okay, question. got it. Well, so, we've already decided Pyro. <laughs> Pyro, Rock Slide. Okay. Who makes force fields? Does anybody make force fields? 
We have a lot of telekinetics. Yeah, I feel like a like a I don't know. We put Emma Frost. <laughs> Emma, Emma Frost. And we need and brew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> it's such a such a bad team, but I like it. <laughs> All right, at Cave of Splendor, the Brandalorian asks, I always thought the crossover came at an odd time as X-Men was transitioning from a more classic roster to what would become the Outback team. Kurt and Peter are injured, but Magneto, Psylocke, Dazzler, and Longshot are in. What X-Men roster would you most want to see crossover with the with the FF? Uh, Christy, I'm going to answer this one. Um, the Wolverine and the X-Men teens, because they always <gasps> seem to kind of go on little, little like FF-esque adventures. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a different one? Um. So, well, I guess that depends. Are we thinking about like a current existing or not even current, but like an X-Men roster that already exists? Are we like creating an X-Men roster? I think this is implying one that already exists. Okay. Hmm. Uh, He also said that we cannot answer the current Hickman era because we're already getting that series, which is... Oh, I guess I guess that's fair. Yeah, man, your answer was really good. Sorry, I just mm-hmm. I'm really good at Can thinking I copy? and talking. Can I copy your answer? Chrissy's just gonna lean over the mic and look at my paper that I don't have and go, "The Wolverine and the X Men." <laughs> <kids." laughs> well, the Gen X kids would be that kind would of fun. Be fun. They go on wild adventures. Uh huh. Yeah. Good answer, Christy. Another 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 kids group. <laughs> yeah. Um, at Pawpaw72546 asks, would you rather have read the story that was suggested by the covers than the actual story contained in the issues? <laughs> it's just tons of dead bodies. And at the end, Franklin looks like a terrifying, like, tiny god creature over everybody's fallen bodies. It would have been very different. I mean, the covers do tell a story. It's just not the one that's in the pages. It seems like they all four covers are contained within Franklin Richards's weird dream state. Yes. Uh, I would not have liked that. I don't think it would have been coherent. <laughs> <laughs> no. They're kind of fun though. Like in the you you like want to like pick it up. It reminded me of a little bit of a slightly more sophisticated version of the Silver Age Superman covers, where he'd be like, "Sorry, Lois, I'm dating a squirrel now." Like, <laughs> the time Superman dated a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> at drew underscore gy asks is this the best dadding by reed in canon it's probably pretty close yeah i mean there was definitely some still like uh i'm too busy kid go talk to your mother there is a bit in i think close to this run where reed stretches his body into looking kind of like a velociraptor and lets franklin richards ride on his back and it's kind of horrifying but it's probably good dadding <laughs> I mean, it's a real sweet bedtime story. He makes a little tail, and he's got like a spandex-covered tail, but it's still like his normal face. <laughs> it's kind of horrifying. Um, who's the best biological dad in Marvel Comics? No Logan father figuring out another teenage or father figuring another teenage girl. Who is the best? Caveat that you do not have to be a biological father to be a real father. Mm-hmm. That yeah. We are not going to say that. Uh, Porcupine does some great fathering. He is not a bi- biological. Well, he is a biological father, and he <laughs> doesn't do great <laughs> fathering to his own child, just to Jessica's Just to Jessica's Oops. child. Jessica, I'm sorry. Canonically, I think the best dad in Marvel Comics is Luke Cage. Yeah, that was my answer. Biological dad. 
I think there's there's plenty of good there's plenty of good dad figures. I think Cable is probably the best dad, but again, not to his own kid. <laughs> you know, I'm shocked you didn't say Scott. He's a really <laughs> bad dad. <laughs> oh, my old flame just got resurrected from the ocean, and I know there's this identical woman that I live with and have a kid with, but mm, gotta go. <laughs> At Accommodatingly, Stephanie Burt asks, discuss the role of She-Hulk. Why is she there? Because Sue wasn't coming, and they needed a girl. <laughs> that can't be everything. It um, was. <laughs> she doesn't really have a central conflict. She's definitely there to tell us that Chris Claremont likes curvy ladies. Yes. Because she says at one point, oh, full-figured women are in. And she feels pretty good about that. Well, she's there because the team needed another person, and Sue was mad at Reed and wasn't going to come with them, and needed to like be home and be a mom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if there were only three of them, they would have been very outnumbered by the X Men, right? Plus, she she had a costume handy. She did it had a four on it and everything. Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. Even the odds. Even the odds. That's why she was there. Claremont really wanted to write She Hulk. I don't know. She's she's the most shoehorned in in this entire crossover. Another question from Accommodatingly. Is this Doctor Doom consistent with other Dooms from 1980s Marvel? Is he your favorite Doom? If not, who is? I think we already discussed that we like this Doom. This is good Dooming. The only other 80s Doom I think I've I've read with like a lot of remembrance is Secret Wars Doom. Mm-hmm. And he's very much like that. Right. He wasn't very monologue or soliloquy in this, but which is, is somewhat different than he was in Secret Wars. I think that's just a matter of perspective, though. Right. I think. I mean, this was... wasn't a Doom story. No, not a Doom story. In I mean, he. Yes, he's there. He's but... there. Yeah, whereas Secret Wars is weirdly a Doom story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question for Accommodatingly, who had a lot of questions. Asked, Kate, then Kitty has told a non-zero number of her romantic partners what happened in Latveria and the scariest moment, uh, probably meaning the bit where she was about to just let herself kind of float away into the wind. Um, what is that number and which partners? There is a right answer, but it's not canon. This is probably a cop-out answer, but I think if I almost died, like got really close to almost dying, Mm-hmm. Uh, even in a way where I, especially in a way where I felt like I was sacrificing myself and I had a lot of kind of thoughts and feelings about it, I would probably tell all of my romantic partners. <laughs> I feel like it would come up kind of early, especially like it's not a completely hidden thing. Like all, all her friends know about it. Uh, all of the ones that have asked her to marry him. Oh, so she didn't tell any of her girlfriends. <laughs> Uh, maybe she didn't tell Quill. I don't know. It probably didn't come up. <laughs> I feel like that every time I like read conversations between them, I'm like, how much do you, did they talk that much? <laughs> At Josh Garvey asks, who wins in the battle of dubious ethics, Xavier or Reed? I think, so who has more dubious ethics? I think Xavier has maybe done worse things than Reed, weirdly enough. Yeah, I feel like... I don't know. Reed's done some bad stuff. He launched, but the two of them together have done a lot of bad decisions because they were both members of the Illuminati. I feel like if you look at it from a moral standpoint, Reed is such a logically founded person mm-hmm. that I think his morality is so informed by his 
own intelligence and confidence in his ability that it is more difficult like even if you don't like him to morally fault him for the choices he makes he is kind of vulcan like in that he will he will do some needs of the many for needs of the few but will not always he will not always seem like a nice human being about it right xavier seems a little more schemy yes so yeah i'm gonna give it to charles mm-hmm Oh, I'm sorry. Josh did say that who is more dubious. That was, thank you for that clarification, Josh. Mm. Do the FF and the X-Men feel like they just belong to different universes? It's weird that Spider-Man has been on both teams, right? So here's the deal. Spider-Man's the linker. Spider-Man, the reason why he's such a popular character is he can literally go in any of the boxes. He's a chameleon. He is. He's just red. Spider chameleon. Is there a spider? Is there a chameleon-like spider? I, there are spiders that camouflage. Yeah, I don't, he's I don't one of those. If, I don't know if there's ones that change color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, um, that red and blue costume, that only comes up when he's standing in front of like red and blue things. <laughs> Most of the time, it's kind of like weird shades of gray as he swings through New York. But yeah, like Spider-Man has had stories where he has been a street level hero, where he has helped save the world, where he has gone to outer space, where he's done X-Men stuff. He's the potatoes. He's the potatoes. You can prepare them any way you want to fit any dish. Man, Spider-Man's the potatoes. Mm-hmm. Peter Potato Parker. <laughs> uh, and the X-Men and FF kind of do feel like they come from different universes. If the, the universes were not also the Marvel universe where everybody's been to space. Right. But they they are like they're like different comics. And the FF I think started as like a much more different comic. It it used to it was very originally like science adventures. I don't know, it's hard for for X-Men to feel like it's part of the Marvel universe like I always forget stuff. it. But I mean that's why in our rotating between the big two, X-Men <laughs> also gets its own slot. Right. There's like nothing quite to me like that in DC that doesn't feel like part of it, the universe. Mm-hmm. I'd say Batman is the closest thing. Do you think that's just reinforced by the the whole like movie rights? It doesn't help. Mm-hmm. The the two thousands definitely whether or not they were really trying to, to do it, mm-hmm. to some extent the X Men were kind of shunted after I think after the whole movie rights deal, like slowly but surely. Right. I don't know if they were necessarily given low quality stories, if uh, so much as just keeping them apart for the most part. But then they kind of tried to bring them together, though, because then you had Avengers versus X Men, and then you had Uncanny Avengers, which was kind of a melding of the two teams. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they did. My conspiracy theory is that they did that to try to like assuage fears uh. of people being like they don't like the X Men anymore, even though. But X Men always sells really well. Even even when it sells badly, it still sells well. Um, <laughs> so it, I think it, they like they were never able to like fully get them away. Yeah, they really tried though. Our last, I, oh. I love this. Uh, our last question from at uh, account Tony or ACCT Tony's Cyclops Defender asks: Was it really three straight issues of Sue Storm's corpse just lying there? Could you just see her in the background in some panels? It was. I don't know how her corpse used powers to blow her clothes off. <laughs> it really does seem like that if you just look at these covers. Right. You're like, is, is Sue okay? I read the whole thing and she didn't die once. I expected three separate deaths. <laughs> I got these as collector issues. 
It's the kind of thing a collector would do. Christy, let's hit these accolades real hard. All right, accolades. Well, Christy, I want to tell you my best line. Oh, please tell me about your best line. My best line comes from the narrator of this comic. Mm-hmm. Who, um, speaking from the perspective of Rogue, as Rogue kisses the thing to take his powers, um, those non-consensual <laughs> kisses, Claremont also a fan, uh, fan of those, where the narrator says she thought she'd be attacking a toad. Instead, she's touched the soul of a prince. Dude, it's perfect. It's a whole lot. It's, it's a whole favorite. bunch. What's your best line? Uh, my best line comes from Ben Grimm. Uh, after he knocks out Wolverine, he pats him on the head and says, sweet dreams, bub. Oh. <laughs> I love that scene because he literally just like, he just kind of like gave him a little bonk. He's like, <laughs> it was just like a bonk. <laughs> and it just, that was it for poor Wolverine. <laughs> it's great. All right. What about uh, your coolest moment? I think my coolest moment is when Ben Grimm rips the car open and saves the little baby. Oh, that was pretty great. Yeah. He just rips that car up. I, I don't know how he knew to not like accidentally rip open the part with the baby. Plus, he was so smart. He soaked his he soaked his coat in water. He thought ahead. He did think ahead. He'd been he he's been heroing for some time. Ben, and he deals with flame. Yeah, Ben Grimm would wear a mask. He's very prepared. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, my coolest moment. I just I loved the art so much of Wolverine kicking uh, Reed Richards in the face. And just reads like reaction that like stretchy mm-hmm. punch. It's it's it was just a lot of fun, and I liked seeing Reed getting kicked in the face <laughs> a little bit too much. Spider Man does it in Civil War. He gets kicked in the face a lot. They just like drawing his face like flying because it's cool. It is cool. He's stretchy. So cool. There's some threads on Twitter, especially from our friend Nola Fow, about the weird things Reed Richards could do with his body. <laughs> He could, all at once, empty every blackhead out of his pores. <laughs> that is somebody's that is somebody's thing. <laughs> you would pay a lot for that video. It's like our poppin', but... Uh, Alright, all right. who's the greatest hero of this event? This was really, really hard. Was it? I wasn't going to give it to Reed, because I still think he's... Oh, no, of course. Of course not. Because he was just the biggest little jerk. I think it's probably Franklin, right? Oh, yeah, that's who I gave it to. Okay. Um, I mean... That's a a daily double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. Because he just just got everybody to do stuff. Way to go, little guy. Plus, he fell out of bed and bonked his head. That wasn't great. He's just a little guy. He looked out for Kitty. Mm -hmm. He was... He did a lot of amazing stuff for, like, a four- or five-year-old. Mm-hmm. He just reminded me of our four or five year old who was also a little blonde child. I know. It was a lot of feels. <laughs> so many feels. <sighs> All right. What about the Crusher Creole Award for Silly Villainy? Doom's way of infiltrating the X Men by making a robot fisherman who fell out of a boat just at the right time to be taken into 
the infirmary and checked on by Sharon Friedlander, who is a woman who in New, New Mutants was turned into a Native American, and that has not been properly addressed and is very problematic. I'm not telling you my accolades in advance again. You didn't tell me this I one. did tell you this one. No, I don't remember that you told me I this one. I did. Was it this moment too? Yes. I don't remember you telling me this one. I'm sorry. This is how he got the idea, readers. No, you planted it in my head. <laughs> you grabbed my journal and you wrote it in. <laughs> I don't remember you. I thought I remember you saying it was funny. I don't remember you saying that it was your Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy. I apologize, sweetheart. It's okay. We have another daily double readers. <laughs> Just because my ideas are so good. I guess that's what I get for stealing, trying to steal your answer earlier. I mean, the really, like, just this whole plot is silly. Yes. Yeah, but we had this, we had this whole discussion about how Doom could have just showed up. Yeah. And instead... He had to send his robot. He, <laughs> he had to plant the robot in the ocean to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Can... And then the robot didn't even come right out and say the message right away. He he waited. It was so stupid. In a good way. It was silly. Silly villainy. Silly villainy. All right. What does your key of C get to? <laughs> um, Sue Storm blowing off her clothes. <laughs> I feel like that needed to be the climax of a song that, that we that didn't get stage? the beginning of. <laughs> uh, they would just do a smoke and then, like, have some clothes fly. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe she would be silhouetted. Um, maybe some interesting lighting to kind of put her in shadow and the, the, the clothes more lit. I don't know. But that's it. That that it was just such a tiny little panel on the page. And it seemed like such an intense moment full of emotion that it needed more. I think that Claremont is really good at providing key of C moments. Mm hmm. I had a couple, but I'm going to narrow it down to the Franklin and Kitty having a duet where Kitty's standing out on the ledge and Franklin's trying to get her back inside. Oh, that would be beautiful and sweet and heartbreaking and lots of tears. Ooh. My other one was going to be a Jean Valjean style um, mm. monologue of Reed second guessing himself at the end and then finding out, find, finding the way to get through, mm. which... T- for some reason in my head, it plays out like the vampire musical from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> I don't know why. Reed, Reed, Reed is probably not the person who sounds like a Transylvanian. <laughs> All right, readers, that's going to wrap us up uh, next week. Well, in two weeks, rather, we're going to be doing Invasion with the with an exclamation point at the end. It's a DC crossover. It's real short. It's about... Some very racist-looking aliens invading Earth. They're called the Dominators. That sounds interesting. It it'll be it'll be. I think this one's pretty good. It's like nice and short. Get it over quickly. There's also like fifty tie-ins if you really want to read them. Oh God, is there a checklist? Uh, there's not a checklist, but there is a list that you could check. <laughs> <laughs> Has someone made a checklist for me to check? Maybe not with boxes. It is not hard to turn a bulleted list into a checklist. Well, you could make it if you wanted to. I guess I could. Well, readers, thank you for joining us this week. 
Um, before we go, if you would like to support us monetarily, we have a Patreon. It's in the show notes. If you support us at different levels, you can make us do certain things like a crossover or permanently add an accolade to the show mm-hmm. or um, add your names to or add your choices every so often to a list of voted upon crossovers. But regardless, we will always at least shout your name out on the show. So that's always fun. Mm-hmm. We also have a Kofi. Um, for those one time or now recurring donations of $3 from $3 to $6. And if you're not feeling supporting us monetarily, uh, it's not an option for you right now. Please take a moment to log into your iTunes, give us a review or review us on Facebook, and hopefully we'll notice that and be better at not forgetting about those things. And we'll shout it out on the show uh, or even even just tweet about us. Uh, we, we love seeing you guys talk about us and recommend us uh, when people are asking for podcast recommendations. So share us out. Yeah, uh, that would be really excellent. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, we're at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And for long form messages, you can find us at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. And until next time, readers, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.